1: Well, good afternoon, everyone, and good afternoon, Claudette Burns. Hello. Hello. It's been a while. It has indeed. <laughs> did you have a good break? I did. I'm um,
2: little bit boring. I wasn't bored, but I mean to talk about it. It wasn't very adventurous. I really had extended naps. Then I went back for a second one while you know I was what? reading. That kind of Sounds thing. Sounds
1: like mine. Oh, <laughs> I had the same kind of break. Okay. Yeah. Very low key. But you know what? Good. Good for the heart. Good Isn't for it? the soul. Good for the brain. It's
2: awesome. Oh, yeah. And we had the weather. Yeah. We had the weather. Yeah. Now, some people who decided to go on vacation a little bit different staggered from us. Um, the weather, not so much. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to do a lot of indoor things. But, you know, I believe that even if the weather wasn't great, I would still enjoy it just because I like, you know lounging
1: yeah <laughs> no downtime is very important yeah. I'm starting to learn that as I get older and something as simple as going
2: to the pedestrian mall too that yeah. I enjoyed that immensely I went I've down a been couple been of times this
1: year that, uh, should you, I ha- that? Uh,
2: really? yeah. you have really you have I haven't Labor Day weekend, yeah. roughly? so i got to get on yeah. that. Yeah, just just knowing that you can t- walk in the middle of Water Street. I kept staying to the side by accident, like on the sidewalk, and right. then I kept yeah, yeah. telling myself, um, you can go in the middle of the road now, Claudette. Yeah, it's
1: you safe. Can, you can move around <laughs> a bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> great. Well, I'm glad that you look well-rested. Oh, thanks. So sounds good to see you, too. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you and I have spoken a lot about this over the last little while, um, especially over the last few months. And that's the rising cost of groceries. Oh, yes. And of course, it's all part of inflation. But there are other factors and strategies that are being used in the grocery industry to cut back on manufacturing costs, which result in you paying more and getting less. Have you noticed? Yes, I have. Um, Is that the same thing, I think, as shrinkflation? Shrinkflation.
2: Yeah. Uh, It's a different kind of word. It makes
1: me mad, actually. (laughs) It does. My sister used it the other day. She said, oh, I'm so sick of this shrinkflation. I'm like, the what now? Yeah. Uh, And of course, when she mentioned it, I was like, yeah, I've noticed that for years now. Things are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Before it had a term, we noticed it. Yes, Absolutely. Well, that's why this conversation with VOCM Open Line host Patty Daly this morning uh, with uh, Sylvain Charlebois at Dalhousie's Agri Foods Lab caught my attention. And it was uh, so interesting. I said, I got to play this again because it affects each and every one of us. So here's how that conversation went.
3: Shrinkflation basically is uh, is a strategy used by food manufacturers to reduce quantities uh, without affecting pricing essentially i think a lot of people uh, would have noticed that uh, you're getting less for the same amount of uh, money at the grocery store so instead of say 560 to 600 grams of ice cream you're getting 450 grams instead but the prices remain the same that that would be shrinkflation.
4: Is this something new? Because I remember, you know, back in the day of everyone switching to the light or the diet variety. It turns out that was more marketing than it was reality regarding nutritional value or sodium or fats or whatever the case may be. So is this new or has it been further exasperated in the last number of years?
3: Uh, it, it goes in cycles. You're, you're absolutely right. This is not a new strategy. It's been going on for decades, but uh, we do go through cycles. Uh, whenever input costs go up, so grain prices, for example, cocoa prices, things like that, manufacturers will actually look for ways to save money as much as possible and reduce manufacturing costs essentially and uh, but we were just ending a, a new cycle right now because of of the invasion of Ukraine grain prices did go up and so we saw a significant number of of shrinkflation cases uh, across the country including in Newfoundland
4: and complications with droughts and floods and other interruptions in the so-called supply chain so let's talk shelfflation
3: Selflation is basically uh, when uh, supply chain issues, problems, will impact the shelf life of food products, mainly produce. Uh, I'm sure many of your listeners would have noticed that uh, in recent years, it's tougher to get fresh products or if you buy a product uh, once you bring that product home it may actually not last as long you have to eat it right away or for example with dairy sometimes best before dates don't apply because uh, the product has actually turned sour already uh, it actually has happened to to, to us at home uh, facts. Well, you buy a carton of milk, and the milk is, is already bad even before the best before date. So that's probably due to the fact that that, that milk was left on a dock for too long or was left in a truck for too long, you know, things like that. So these things do happen from time to time. Uh, it, it is called shelflation, but it ends up costing more money to consumers because you have to throw a, la- a lot more uh, food away.
4: There has been some adjustment to the impact of the breadbasket of Europe and the exportation of grains from Ukraine. How complicated are the supply issues continuing, the whole supply chain? Because I know when you have droughts and floods, and then the implication price when you import something from South America through the United States, the conversion of the dollar, next thing you know, I pay some of that freight, we'll call it, uh, carriage. So are the supply chain issues as drastic as they were, say, in the middle of 21 when we were all dealing? with different moving parts and confusion and unknowns regarding the, the pandemic?
3: I, I, I would say that right now the situation is much... Uh, much better uh, things have improved immensely uh, you don't have uh, the delays that, that we saw at different ports uh, whether it's in uh, Halifax Montreal uh, obviously Vancouver uh, was uh, was impacted by by a recent strike so there are delays there but if you look at Los Angeles Seattle uh, New York delays are 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 much more manageable now so uh, and and I'm sure I suspect that people have started to notice that uh, when you order something you get it much quick much more quickly than before
4: when we talk about shelfflation, you know you eyeball things whether it be fruit or vegetables and dairy products come with their own unique concerns but what would you like to say to Canadians regarding best before dates I try to talk about this because I used to be one of those folks <laughs> every best before date when we were on that date or pass it that was it that product was going to the landfill when we know that there's 2 or 3 million tons of edible food discarded every year in this country. How should we approach that best before cuz it doesn't mean expired?
3: Well, exactly. Best before doesn't mean bad after essentially. So, if uh, if you're, if you're capable of trusting your senses, uh, and what I mean by that, are you healthy enough? Uh, is your immune system strong enough? You can actually rely on your incentives uh, to know whether or not a product is, is good to eat or not. Uh, if it's open, I mean, I basically uh, opened up a, 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 um, a package of yogurt uh, that was one month after the Best Before Date, but it was unopened. Uh, but once it's open, of course, uh, uh, the quality of the product may be compromised. You have to be careful there, but uh, you, the Best Before Date is just an indicator uh, for people to consider, but uh, it shouldn't be a, a, a driving factor for people to waste more food.
1: So that's Sylvain Charlebois in conversation with uh, Patty Daly this morning on VOCM Open Line talking about shrinkflation, shelfflation and, um best before dates, do you wh- how you <laughs> what's your approach to best before? Well, it used to be I look at the
2: date especially when it came to milk, and I would not drink it after. Um I'm also uh, a little bit better now. I'll do a sniff test, and then i'll I'll still do it. I've had one of my the products that I really don't enjoy trying if it's gone bad, so I try to look at the best before date and gauge. That would be fresh salsa. I don't like that whiny. Taste that oh, happens yeah. when it goes bad mm-hmm. so i'm trying to gauge it i'm trying to be a little bit better but it, it those de- those dates are highly highly suggestible like you oh, you, yeah. you know you you want to throw it out when you see it but I try to give myself a couple of days and, like I said, do a sniff or a little taste.
1: Yeah, I've always done the sniff thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind drinking milk after the best before date if, you know, if it, it smells, smells okay. right. Yeah, You know, <laughs> if it's starting to do something different, or then questionable it's if, gone.
2: If, if you got to ask your—I would, I would ask my spouse, I'm like, does this— Smell okay to you? I mean, I that question should say should put off my senses and just not do it. Exactly. Right, if you've
1: got it if you, you think, gotta ask somebody. and you got to ask somebody, <laughs> uh, am I right in thinking that this has gone bad? <laughs> Chances are, it's yeah, gone it's bad. It's gone bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But um, no, uh, best before dates have never really bothered me that much if everything looks feels and smells right. But
2: you know know what dates confuse me? When certain uh, businesses have sell-by dates, like the sell-by, like, I don't know. I just find that a little on the confusing side. Yeah, I guess it's all packed up in yeah, or packed on or <laughs> right and then yeah. you're like okay well if it was packed a couple of weeks ago is that still good I, I assume yeah. it's still good I find that confusing as well
1: yeah <laughs> again I just use use you know, your senses right yeah all exactly <laughs> uh, I I don't know it was the way I was raised I suppose but mm-hmm. I cannot stand wasting Wasted. food yeah oh I think I think it's the ultimate sin honestly yeah and there's so much that it's goes it's so much that gets thrown sinful. away yeah yeah it is really sinful And I'm one of these people that puts things in... You know, Tupperware or whatever yep. and in the fridge and freezer and uh, freeze. My cousin bunch. joked, she said, you know, I will not waste food. I put it in the Tupperware container until it goes bad in the fridge and then I throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> the intent was there. <laughs> the intent was there. But we do try to eat all our our leftovers yeah. and stuff like There's that. Yes, a yeah.
2: lot of people don't like leftover I love it. My husband will not eat leftovers, so then I have to like ask my family. What's the no matter with you? you haven't it? you got
1: a microwave What's right?
2: wrong? Oh yes, we've got all that. He has to have his takeout, you know.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but i mean it's all things that we sometimes we used to take these things for granted and now yeah. it's like wait a minute yeah. Oh, yeah i can get a meal out of that
2: Exactly. I'm finding a lot of us are being a little bit more creative with our meals.
1: more creative and a
2: little more frugal. Exactly.
1: Yep. Um, Well, when we come back after the break, um, we're going to talk a little bit about addiction services available here in Newfoundland and Labrador with the Minister of Health, Tom Osborne. This is News Talk on VOCN.
0: Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings.
1: And the RNC have just issued a release indicating that uh, they are investigating after human remains were found in the area of Windmere Road in Goulds. Uh, That happened on August 13th. Around 10 p.m., members of the RNC alerted to a wooded area near Windmere Road in Goulds. A search of the area was conducted and members of the RNC located human remains. They haven't confirmed the identity uh, yet, but there has been uh, an active search in the general area for a man reported missing in in that area. We'll have details on that as soon as they become available. Well events over the last few weeks have highlighted the terrible toll taken from the uh, by sorry the illegal drug trade and people living with and struggling with addiction. I reached out to the Department of Health for an update on available resources for people who are seeking health. Minister Tom Osborne joins me now. Well hello Minister Osborne.
5: Hello, pleasure to be on your show.
1: Well, thanks so much. Uh, so, of course, we've seen some of the headlines as of late and some of the tragedies that have ensued. And um, uh, word now that the, the crime rate is up significantly in the St. John's area, at 19%, if memory serves, over the last little while. And uh, a lot of point, people pointing, of course, to um, drug use as uh, part of the cause behind that. Um, from a healthcare perspective, what... Uh, what... What are we doing to help people who are, um, you know, struggling with addiction and that sort of thing? Are are there programs available to help uh, wean people off of addiction?
5: There are. So there's a number of programs that government have in place, and we continue to look um, at other jurisdictions, best practices in other jurisdictions, uh, what has worked well, what hasn't. And we continue to expand on the services we provide. Um, We've got the the Newfoundland and Labrador Center uh, on Substance Use, uh, which is a provincial program um, that is embedded within the uh, Provincial Health Authority. Um, and, And they're committed to harm reduction um, and substance use disorder treatment. Um, They have prevention and promotion consultants uh, in each of the the zones in the province. through Towards Recovery, we've put a number of initiatives in place. Um, we continue to expand on those. Uh, some of those are uh, focused entirely on mental health. Uh, some are on addictions and addictions treatment, um, including the, um, the, the new Mental Health and Addictions Hospital, for example, um, Provincial Stepped Care Model. Uh, there are several new programs that were put in place as a result of um, the, the Towards Recovery uh, and the 54 recommendations in there. Um, but we also continue to focus on, on how we can expand on that. Um, one of the things we're offering are the naloxone kits. Uh, they are available uh, free to residents throughout the province. Uh, there are 140 sites where they are accessible, we're looking to expand that um, to other sites, uh, looking at opportunities where we can make them even more accessible. But individuals who may require a Naloxone kit, um, if they don't have a site near uh, where they live or if that's not convenient, uh, can contact 811 and, and we will ensure that uh, we have a kit uh, provided to them.
1: For those who um, are seeking out treatment, how many people are, are availing of, of those services?
5: So we've got, uh, there's a number of services that are available. Um, for example, the um, anybody who is looking for uh, direction or help in what services are available uh, can visit the closest doorways location. Uh, and asked to be connected to uh, ongoing counseling or other uh, resources that may be available. Um, there's the recovery center, um, which is a, med- uh, a medical withdrawal uh, management services um, for people age 16 and over. Uh, we have um, two adult inpatient treatment centers in the province and one for uh, people aged 12 to 18, and um, for anybody who's looking for support, if they're unsure of where to turn, they can uh, look. We have three key access points. Um, call 811 um, if they are not near a doorways uh, clinic or the doorways clinic, as i would mentioned, or bridge the gap. And they can provide assistance and, and point people in the in the right direction as well. Uh, we do have uh, uptake in number of uh, of the areas. Um, the uh, assertive community treatment teams and and the flexible um, assertive community treatment teams across the province. Um, They service regularly 1,100 people with complex mental illness or addictions issues. We have the doorways itself. There are 66 locations. We've had tens of thousands of visits there since we put that in place in 2017. The mobile crisis response team, which deal with thousands of individuals, uh, Bridge the Gap, um, there's been uh, literally uh, somewhere between three and 400,000 sessions uh, uh, through Bridge the Gap with an average of about 6,500 u- unique uh, users monthly. And Strongest Families Institute, uh, there are 6,000-plus uh, families uh, who have gone through uh, that institute and uh, with a 100% rating um, the, the service is excellent or very good.
1: What is demand like for rehab or detox, uh, so to speak? Because I know years ago, um, people who were seeking out rehab often had to leave the province, go elsewhere for that kind of uh, service. And and we've seen some very uh, sad uh, situations involving Indigenous children, for instance, that had to leave the province and leave their families and all the rest of it just to get that, that rehab. Um, so where are we with that and what are we doing with, with the waiting? Is there a waiting list or, or, or are these uh, services uh, readily available?
5: So those services, there there is a process. Uh, for example, if somebody is looking at Humberwood, uh, which is one of the two uh, adult inpatient treatment centres, if you're looking at Humberwood, there's about a uh, there's a process to. Uh, get there to ensure uh, a the individual is ready. Um, the individual is is a good candidate for the the uh, program. And there's about a six week process. Uh, generally, individuals can get into Humberwood within the, that six week period. Uh, but they are provided supports along uh, the way um, for the that six weeks. Uh, With the recent spike, uh, we are looking at what additional supports um, we can put in place uh, during that process and whether or not um, we can expedite the the six-week time period. Uh, The utilization of Humberwood was over 90 percent, so it wasn't fully utilized um in the last 12 months but it it's over 90% i think it's in the 96% range of of uh, utilization um we have the uh, the Hope Valley which is the youth inpatient treatment center uh, there is capacity there um uh, for sure that is not fully utilized uh, so we we do have um uh, you know, significant uptake in the adult inpatient treatment centers, uh, less so with the the youth uh, inpatient treatment center. Um, But we are certainly looking at uh, whether um, with the recent spike and and whether or not we can anticipate, uh, uh, you know, a a more continuous uh, level of, of heightened concern uh, what resources should be uh, put in place, and whether or not the, uh, the resources that are there, uh, each of the, the singular resources, uh, whether we need to look at uh, enhancing or expanding on those.
1: That is um, Health Minister Tom Osborne. Uh, When we come back after the news break, uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about celebrating the community sector. This is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM.
1: we're back. Well, the Community Sector Council is celebrating today. It's celebrating the role and value of the community sector to life in Newfoundland and Labrador. CEO of the CSCNL, Colin Corcoran, joins me now live from Gander. Hello, Colin.
5: Hello,
6: Linda. How are you? I'm
1: great. So what's happening in Gander today? Well, Linda, we're
6: here in Gander today to launch uh, the new CSCNL brand our image and our new resource uh, website
1: so what's your new image
6: so uh, as you can see from our website so if uh, listeners can go to www.cscnl.ca they'll see a stylized new image that represents A bit of a homage to who we have been, who we are currently, and who we aspire to be. It's a bit of a stylized uh, paper airplane, if you will, but the elements are transformative and can transform to be the sails of the boats, and it's meant to represent the transformation of the organization and the agility to respond to what it needs to be.
1: So why the rebrand?
6: Well, after uh, 46 years, 47 years, uh, we've had a number of rebrands uh, of uh, the Community Sector Council. The Community Sector Council was originally Community Services Council, Newfoundland Labrador, changed to Community Sector Council to represent the fact that the uh, organizations here that serve the broader community sector, and we still retain the same name. It's just an update of the imagery to help uh, guide uh, where we hope to go. So where do you hope to go? There's a lot of... when we think about where we want to go, we ask ourselves a lot of questions. Uh, we have conversations about what does the role of volunteerism look like in the future? Uh, we ask ourselves uh, what does social development and economic development look like? Because you can't have the economic development without the social and the social without the economic. And where does the organization and the sector fit? And of course uh, we think about the people, uh, the organizations that uh, make our province truly the place that we love to live and work and uh, volunteer
1: what uh, kind of a role does the community sector play in the province
6: so the Community Sector Council is, uh, is here to support uh, the community sector and community groups and organizations. So that would be volunteers, it would be voluntary groups and associations, it would be charities, it will be nonprofits. And we view ourselves as not speaking for the sector. Instead, we help amplify the voices of the sector. Uh, we're here to create programs and services that are responsive to the needs of the sector and help inform public policy where possible.
1: What would the province look like if there was no community sector?
6: Uh, I, I, don't, I don't even think I could envision a province without the community sector. Uh, it would be a province where there would be very few volunteer firefighters, for example. I think of the 5,000 uh, firefighters that are here in the province of Flanagan Door, the vast majority of them are volunteers. So it would look like no fire departments, community services, food banks, uh, uh, mental health supports, uh, theater groups, uh, the community sector and the non-profits are integrated in just about every sector, every subsector, every piece of the fabric of what makes us who we are. I I would be uh, I would be scared to see what the problems would look like without us.
1: Indeed, sports, for instance, uh, uh, that alone. Sorry, say again. Sports. And sports recreation, there,
6: there's so many sectors and subsectors that are represented by and supported by nonprofits and charities. Uh, You'd need a list, uh, your arm long.
1: So, how has the community sector changed over the years?
6: Uh, so, the community sector has always been a very innovative and forward-looking organization, and a lot of credit to that comes from the leadership of uh, our former CEO, uh, uh, Penny Rowe. And so the community sector council has been the incubator of ideas, has spun out so many of the organizations that uh, we enjoy today. So just an example of one of those uh, spin-offs or one of those incubated partnerships uh, was the credit counseling services, Newfoundland Labrador, was a CSE initiative uh, back in the day.
1: Yes, and how many people has that served over the years? Just imagine. Well, and that's and
6: that's where the value of community groups and organizations exists today. Um, oftentimes, from a grassroots level of uh, community groups, nonprofits, volunteers, charities, uh, they still an essential or a needed service that's in the community.
1: So why Gander?
6: For us, it was really symbolic uh, and also fairly practical. Um, as you can imagine, as a provincial organization, uh, we, wanted to, we wanted to launch our brand and launch the new website from a very centralized location. Gander has a lot of parallels to uh, to, to kind of the total look and feel of the event. Uh, it's very much housed in the international. We're here right now at the Gander International uh, Airport, and it's this really interesting cross section of the world coming here into Newfoundland Labrador. A lot of story, history, and that really means intersection of the past, as you can imagine. Gander Airport being a very historic site for for our for our, um, our province. And also looking forward, mixing that modern with the historical, not losing sight of folks.
1: And yes, the extraordinary role that uh, Ganderites and uh, people throughout Newfoundland and Labrador played and the many, many volunteers involved in helping those poor stranded plain people in the wake of 9-11.
6: You know, Linda, as you say this, I'm here actually standing in front of uh, the piece of the World Trade Tower that was donated uh, to Gander. And I'm actually looking at it right now. Um, as you can think about it, as, as people around the world uh, learn about Newfoundland and Labrador, one of the stories that they learn is about 9-11 and how communities of people freely gave up their space, freely gave up their homes, and really rallied together as volunteers to support uh, people from all across the world.
1: Who were terrified, frightened, lost uh, so far away from home, and, and we opened our hearts and our homes.
6: We did indeed. And another example of what the world would look like without volunteers.
1: Well, Colin, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you got a busy afternoon there this afternoon, and you got a lot of people milling around you. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
6: Thanks for having me. Take care.
1: Bye-bye. Uh, Colin Corcoran is the CEO of the Community Sector Council NL, uh, who have uh, launched their new rebrand at uh, Gander International today. And that beautiful international lounge. Uh, uh, Just an icon, I suppose, of uh, that new postmodern era. Just gorgeous. Well, coming up, the 2025 Canada Games has a new sponsor. This is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. New News talk on your VOCM.
1: Work. And we're back. Uh, well, the 2025 Canada Games Host Society has announced that Atlantic Lottery uh, is now an elite sponsor and the executive presenting partner of the volunteer program. Atlantic Lotto CEO Patrick Daig and 2025 Canada Games Board co-chair Carl Smith made the announcement in St. John's yesterday. Here's what they had to
7: say. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here, uh, you understand I'm a New Brunswicker, um, and I absolutely love coming to Newfoundland and Labrador, I don't come for the weather, um, I come for the spirit of the people, uh, the, the team that we have here is, is world class, um, and I'm going to get into the spirit of the people in, in just a moment, but at Atlantic Lottery, uh, we've always been committed to giving back and making a difference in the communities that we serve, in, in fact I would say it's in the DNA of our of our company, it's kind of who we are. Um, and so today we just take great pride in announcing that we partnered with Canada Games not only as an elite partner, but also as the exclusive presenting partner of the volunteer program for the 2025 Games. Volunteers are the lifeblood uh, of any major event. And if you've been to an event like a Canada Games, you'll know um, how much the volunteers mean to the success of the games. You'll you, you see the, the ushers, you see the ambassadors, you see the security personnel. Um, they absolutely make a difference in the game. Uh, and it's their dedication and their passion uh, that allows them to do that. And as the exclusive presenting partner of the volunteer program, we are so eager to connect with our fellow Atlantic Canadians who share our passion for serving our communities and sharing this experience with them. As I said, Atlantic Lottery and its employees have a long history of volunteerism, and we know that it takes the collective effort of an entire community coming together uh, to create truly exceptional events like the Canada Games And back to the spirit of the people, um, we know that these Canada games in Newfoundland and Labrador are going to be absolutely incredible. Uh, There are going to be people that dedicate their time selflessly um, and that they are going to give all of their passion. So we can't wait to connect with them. We just can't wait to, to recognize their invaluable contributions. And we're honored, frankly, to stand beside them and shine a national spotlight on Newfoundland and Labrador and the city of St. John's.
8: Well, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks, Peter. Uh, I love days when people are willing to give me a million dollar checks. And especially for such a good cause as the 2025 Canada Games. So on behalf of our Games Host Society, our board of directors, and the incredible team of staff, headed by Karen Sheriffs, who, by the way, I think this is her 10th Games. She bleeds Canada Games colors. I want to extend our heartfelt gratitude to Atlantic Lottery for your generous support and commitment to the 2025 Canada Games. You're absolutely right, Peter, when you say the volunteers are the lifeblood of the Games. The Games definitely cannot go ahead without the contribution of thousands of volunteers. We're delighted to welcome you as our elite sponsor and exclusive presenting partner of the volunteer program. Atlantic Lottery's commitment to community engagement and your strong presence in Atlantic Canada make you a perfect fit for this role. And for those of you that don't know, uh, the uh, corporation fulfilled this role at the Winter Games in Prince Edward Island as well. And uh, having seen those games firsthand, I can tell you that the volunteer effort was amazing and incredible. Your support will not only enable us to recognize and appreciate our volunteers, but also ensure that the Games run seamlessly and leave a lasting impact on all who participate and a legacy of volunteerism, which we're no strangers to here in St. John's, Newfoundland, but this will only enhance it. As we know, volunteers are the backbone and the Canada Games are a perfect example of that. The volunteers' dedication, passion, and hard work make the Games a truly unforgettable experience for athletes, spectators, and everyone involved. The 2025 Canada Games volunteer program is crucial in ensuring the smooth and efficient operation of the Games and creating a welcoming and vibrant atmosphere for all participants. With over 5,000, yes, that number is correct, 5,000 volunteers needed from August 8th to the 25th, 2025, the host Society, with the support of the Landy Lottery, will launch the volunteer recruitment campaign beginning next summer. So put that in your calendars, folks. Everybody here is invited to volunteer in some fashion. And we will be engaging with communities from across Newfoundland and Labrador to help bring the Games to life. We are a province and city known for our friendliness and welcoming attitude. And I know that all citizens will do what they can to make sure our guests leave here with unforgettable memories and a real sense of what is special about our home. Over the next year, stay tuned to our social media channels at 2025 Canada Games as we will be releasing more details on specific volunteer opportunities, how to get involved, and how to register to help us welcome the nation to St. John's and the surrounding communities of Mount Pearl. Conception Bay South, Paradise, and Logie Bay, Middle Cove, Outer Cove. Once again, we are immensely grateful to Atlantic Lottery for their continued support. And we look forward to welcoming more businesses to join us on this incredible journey. And it is an incredible journey. And uh, it's been fairly quiet up-to-date. We've been at this for almost three years now. And I, I mentioned to someone last week that we're like the duck, DC, on the pond. Very calm on the surface, but our legs are going crazy Mm -hmm. underneath the water. With just under two years to go to the 2025 Canada Games, there is still a chance to put your brand on Canada's biggest stage by becoming a partner or encouraging your employees to volunteer during the games. This not only supports the event, but allows your team to be part of something meaningful and rewarding. And I'm sure, Patrick, you have something in mind regarding your employees in that regard. And speaking of partners, there are two represented here today that have been tremendously supportive of us. The City of St. John's, represented by Mayor Breen, and the, and the uh, Government of Newfoundland and Labrador, represented by Minister Crocker. We're deeply appreciative for your continued support. It simply wouldn't be possible without you at the table. Again, on behalf of the 2025 Canada Games, thank you all for being here today for this exciting announcement. And. Please join us on our remaining journey to 2025.
1: So that's Atlantic Lotto CEO Patrick Daig and 2025 Canada Games Board co-chair Carl Smith, uh, who uh, held a news conference in St. John's yesterday. Well, the federal government has announced additional funding aimed at bringing high-speed internet services to uh, more um, communities on the north coast of Labrador. Northern Affairs Minister Yvonne Jones says $10.3 million will go towards ensuring more than 1,000 homes get connected, the homes are in Hopedale, McCovic, Nain, Natwishish, Postville, and Rigolet. Here's what Yvonne Jones had to say today.
9: You know, on the surface, it looks like a practical option. I myself own a Starlink uh, service that I use remotely uh, at at my uh, cottage. However, when you evaluate uh, Starlink compared to actual backbone broadband services and fiber networks and community and mobile services, there's really little comparison in terms of the longevity and the long-term. Starlink will work in the initial phase if we were to do it today. What we're doing is going to extend through a lifetime in the region uh, over many decades. So we're looking for the longevity of service and not having to replace it every two years, five years, ten years down the road. The other thing is, while the actual cost of purchasing Starlink is much cheaper today especially in uh, in some regions the cost per month is still elevated at $161 a month per family not all families can afford this what's happening in nunavut is that the packages have been designed in a way that allows people to access minimum data minimum mobile service up to a maximum service. Therefore, they can choose plans based on what their need is. If they have more kids in school, they have more devices in their home, they work from home, they may need more bandwidth, they may need uh, higher-speed Internet access, and so on, whereas uh, some people, maybe one person in a home, maybe senior, uh, or a couple of, of, of individuals in a home, they can opt in for a package that more specifically meets their needs, and it can be a, as low cost as 50 or $60 a month. But the, the thing that I want to emphasize here is that this project is being led and driven by the Nunatsiavut government. This is not the government of Canada saying, this is what we're going to give you or this is what's going to work best in your community. As a government uh, and within the region, they evaluated what their options were. And this is the option they've chosen. And let's not forget that as a government, they're also investing you know, nearly $6 million in this project as well. And again, it's for the longevity of it. If you go back through your stories you've aired in the last five years, what you will note is that many times communities had not even the basic telephone service. They had no connection to the outside world. They were often cut off with the low-level Internet they had and with the uh, very old technology that was connecting just the telephone lines. And we kept seeing that over and over in some communities up to six and eight times a year where they were losing disconnectivity. So the entire system had to be upgraded. It wasn't just a matter of putting a satellite uh, system, uh, Internet, into a home and thinking the problems are now fixed forever. That would never have been the case. We've had to do very high-level upgrades on remote towers all across Nunatsia in northern Labrador. We've had to ensure that all the backbone technology, most of which had to be replaced or upgraded because it had aged out and was no no longer able to handle the levels and demands of service that was required. And it was very difficult for communities. So what we're doing today is an investment in the future for the Nazi it. It's what they chose. It's, it, we see the benefit in, in their choice. We see the benefit in the option that we're going forward with, because it's, it's a system that will outlast decades of service along the northern region, and that's what we're aiming to do.
1: So that's Labrador MP and Northern Affairs Minister Yvonne Jones, about uh, $10.3 million in funding announced today to uh, help ensure that more than 1,000 homes in Nunatsiavut and uh, Natwashish are connected to the Internet. Well, that's it for us now, Claudette. Uh, Thanks very much for helping out this afternoon. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. So do join us then. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone.